May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast, episode number 52. As we're recording this, I still haven't gotten power back at my house here in Peterborough. Just got mine. So we're actually recording this one before episode 51 has even aired. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Uh, episode 51 would be our second part on the abortion issue. Mm -hmm. So looking forward for people to get to to hear that one. Mm -hmm. uh, Glad to have you back. I'm Jeremy Boyd. I'm Alex Klusterman. We got a very special guest tonight. This is our first remote interview. Yeah. 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 So um, we got John MacArthur on the line. Welcome. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So, so as Jeremy and I have said many times on our podcast, um, we, we're kind of like everyone else, and the 2020 just caught us seriously off guard. I know for me personally. And uh, I had the feeling of just needing to do a lot to catch up. You know, 2019, uh, not necessarily in a vein sense i hope or a conceited sense but i maybe maybe it was conceit i just had an overestimation of the things that i knew and the preparedness i had for ministry and 2020 hit and a whole host of pastoral issues and theological issues mm. um cultural issues had, uh, rose to the surface that, that just literally i'd never even given a second's thought to yeah even things that we had talked about for years ecclesiology and that we still had to go back to the mat on that right yeah so those things back down yeah even the things that we we had thought through we had to go and 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 shore up on those things and we've talked about it many times on the podcast that not a lot of what we share is is uniquely um is unique to us i mean a lot of the things that we try to share with the people who listen is things that we've gleaned from other um, other men who have given wisdom, experience, mm-hmm. and examples. And uh, Dr. Aaron Rock is one of those men. So Dr. Aaron Rock is a lead pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel, Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario, which is, it feels like the end of the world. I mean... That's the end of the country, right? Yeah, it feels. <laughs> it feels. So we were just down there, and I'd, I'd say that's the end of the world. And uh, he is the host of the podcast Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock where he discusses the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and a lot of other relevant matters to help people lead effectively mm. now. And a lot of our listeners, I mean, I was just hanging out with my mom and she said, oh, I was listening to um, Aaron's podcast this morning. Um, so he is married to Susie and they have five children together. He's also the fellow for church leadership at the Ezra Institute and he has been one of the leading voices and examples in Canada advocating for the lordship of Jesus Christ over all things. So thank you for coming on the show, brother, and helping us think through how to live under the rule of Christ and rule over creation in his name. Well, I am excited to be here. I love both you guys. I'm thankful for the stance you're your church has taken. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of made me laugh a couple times before I uh, was officially introduced, <laughs> but uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation tonight. I hope that it'll be a not only just an opportunity for the three of us to reconnect, but also a blessing to all those who will watch and listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just want to say um, that introduction's good. The, the Leadership Now podcast, if you don't listen to it, uh, please subscribe to that. It's very good. I find your practical advice to be really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had you up at right. our pastor's colloquium here last year, and your message was uh, same vein, kind of a lot of practical. How do we move forward? How are we going to navigate 
a, a changing culture uh, and a, a seemingly shrinking church. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of your latest uh, podcasts was on um, um, beachhead, building beachheads. Mm-hmm. I found that one really helpful. Right. Also really glad you gave us uh, shout outs. The Hill City and the Westmount crew got shout outs in that. I don't know if you heard that. I didn't hear that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so <laughs> yeah. I was I was driving in my van at work. I was like, yes. <laughs> we got a shout out. All right. <laughs> but no, very, very practical, helpful stuff. So thank you very much for the work you, you guys do there. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Um, so as I was saying, uh, Aaron, 2020 caught us off guard. And I don't know what your experience, but it revealed to me the need for growth in my own doctrine, but even just my character. I mean, it just exposed in the pressure cooker. Um, things. You were out front in a lot of ways is how I would put it. Um, the first time I saw you, not in person, but was remotely, and it was for the Open Ontario Churches uh, initiative. And um, I think you were in your office at your church and you were explaining the initiative to a ton. I mean, at that time, there were a lot of pastors, there were, churches the, who signed up for that. The numbers shrunk, funny um, enough, after that. But, but, but that's <laughs> when I first you know, heard about you and listened to you. And and what I wanted to ask, um, I mean, part of it is you're just, you have more experience in life and ministry, but were there some contributing factors that led you to being, you know, one of the first over the wall guys? And, and, you know, this could be theological influences, personal relationships, you know, pastoral concerns you faced in the past. And, and the reason I ask that is, we don't want to move past this and and do some analysis and say, look, why were we so ill-equipped and what can we be doing now for the next thing? You know, whatever that is. Um, yeah. So maybe just asking, like, you were one of the first over the wall. What, what do you think is the reason for that? Yeah, well, I, I've been asked that question before and I, I kind of... I've molded over in my thinking and this might not be the best response, but on a certain level, I actually don't know. Right. I think that God sometimes stirs our hearts or enlightens our minds Mm -hmm. to things, perhaps at times a little in advance of most others. I think that's part of, you know, leadership gifting. If God wants to move his church in a certain direction, then he's probably going to impress certain thoughts or perspectives on key influencers. Mm. I, I, I'll just give kind of a, a separate analogy or a separate illustration of this. There's been several times in my public ministry where I've been preaching a sermon series on a particular topic and someone will come up to me and say, hey, have you been listening to such and such, you know, a preacher in the States or this side of Canada? Because he's doing a similar thing. And I'm like, no, I wasn't even aware of it. Right. And that's happened many times. And I often wonder then, well, why, why is it that, why would the Lord lay upon my heart to preach on a specific theme yeah. or text? And then it almost seems like as you, as you look up, you realize other guys are doing the same thing mm-hmm. and, and nobody's mm-hmm. consulting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because obviously those of us that are leading, we see similar cultural issues or similar yeah. needs in our congregations across the country or across the continent. And so there's a human aspect where it's like, Mm -hmm. man, we got to, there seems to be this issue in people's lives. I got to preach on it. And other pastors are feeling the same way. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I'd like to think it's the work of the Holy spirit. Yeah. But when you talk that way, um, I know some folks that are listening to this are wanting maybe a bit more of a practical answer because they don't want They don't want to be sort of caught with their pants down again. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so as I've thought about it, I, I do think obviously experience is is important, but what you do with your experiences is is even more important. Mm-hmm. So I've been pastoring for uh pastoring and including my internships for shockingly 20 29 years mm-hmm. uh last month mm-hmm. is when I started my first pastoral internship. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I I have learned over the years is that people are far more alike than they are different. Mm-hmm. The redeemed are far more alike than they are different. The unredeemed are far more alike than they are different. Mm-hmm. So because I I, I base a lot of my responses to, to people upon that premise, which has proven itself to be true time and time again. When I, when I hear politicians or heathen physicians or other officials, media speak, I do believe in the, the, the depravity of man. Mm-hmm. And I'm always suspicious because I know their worldview affects how they think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think early on for me, because I have, I would say, a low view of human nature apart from Christ, mm-hmm. when I started hearing some of the things that were being said early on, like the two weeks that turned to three to four to five to six, automatically my antennas went up. And I'm like, something's not right here. Now, I didn't attribute it to some massive conspiracy. I don't think people are... I, I don't have a high enough view of, of, of the collective intelligence yeah. <laughs> of the officials that lead us to think that they could even put something like this together. But I, I do believe in, in collective delusion and the futility of the mind apart from Christ. So I, yeah. I'm automatically, I just wasn't a trusting guy. Yeah, yeah. And then as I started watching the implications of their decisions. So, for example, there's a virus it's going around and some people are getting sick, but very, very, very few people died from it. I know you got hit hard there for a period of time, Alex, mm-hmm. but for even every person like you that was hospitalized, I know thousands of others just yeah. walked right through it yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. Like apparently I had COVID and I didn't even know it Yeah, because I was getting some blood work done and I'm like, Hey, throw that COVID test on there. I'm kind of curious if I had it. It came back that I had this huge amount of like unusually high level of antibodies. And yeah. I, don't, I don't remember much more than the sniffles. Yeah. So what I was hearing on the news didn't align with, with um, lived experience. Yeah. And that, and then I was also looking at, you know, the clear commands of scripture to meet, to gather the implications of not doing that, even feeling in my own spirit that I was, famished for true fellowship yeah that i was thirsty for true fellowship something wasn't right in my world thinking about the consequences of closing economies in a very practical physical tangible world yes um the the hypocrisy started to show through pretty quick i remember you know they were out in the streets having their blm rallies and attending this and that but everyone else has to stay home so I was probably seeing and identifying many of the other things that you might have been seeing, but my my personality, my my wiring is I'm just not the kind of person to back away from convictions or principles. Mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. I don't second guess mm-hmm. myself very often. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that's my wiring. That's not going to be attractive to everyone. But in a crisis yeah. or in a battle, if we were at war, I would be a good general to lead the the the, the army to battle mm-hmm. yeah. because that's just my wiring, my mm-hmm. makeup. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that in any way to say that that's better than others, but I think the Lord has uniquely equipped me mm-hmm. and given me the right experiences where for what I wasn't comparing myself to anyone else. I don't, don't get me wrong, but you're just asking me a straight up question. Yes. I think all of those things sort of converge. And that was one of the reasons why I was maybe one of the first out of the gates yes. to my delight at the time. Yeah. When I first wrote that letter to the premier by myself saying, we're opening our church regardless, you better comply by a certain day. You want me to comply? I'm asking you to comply. Mm-hmm. That little check in my spirit that led to 445 other churches and a couple synagogues signing that same letter was a, an incredible thing. It was hugely encouraging. I didn't realize that many had a similar viewpoint. Yeah. But as I think Jeremy alluded to earlier, at the end of the day, probably only about 15 out of the 445 meant it. Yeah. Yeah. That they were actually going to respond. So, yeah, I, I would say it's a convergence of some experience. The Lord just working in my life. I'm totally fine with fading into oblivion. Mm-hmm. But right now, this is part of my assignment. Mm hmm to encourage and strengthen other churches, I think, to take a bold stand. Mm-hmm. I don't think that assignment's going to go away as quick as I might have liked. Mm, yeah. But um, that's probably the best answer I can give mm-hmm. um, Alex. Uh, you, I mean, you've had a lot of interactions with uh, some of the other pastors that have taken similar stands for, yeah. now, for now. And uh, we've talked about, Alex and I have talked about this, uh, just seeing the failure of our sort of tribe you know, we've all got our own religious uh, denominational tribes and what what whatnot. Right. Uh, we've you know you you see the the reform camp just fold like a cheap suit, and it's like I thought we believed in, you know, I thought we believed in this stuff, and so I, I'm curious to get your answer on this. What what do you think is the common thread with these other pastors that have that have decided you know what this is more important uh, than obeying the state? What's the common thread? Because I can't find it. Other than guys that just yeah. believe scripture, you know? Yeah. I, I'm not sure there's a common thread. I think mm-hmm. there's two or three factors that have played a role in this. I think we are products of our culture to a greater degree than we probably would like to admit. Yeah, absolutely. And as much as guys can walk into their church on a Sunday and stand up and say, sacrifice it all for Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, don't tolerate evil. At the end of the day, when they leave their churches, I think they're more connected to and beholden to their culture than they think. Absolutely. And one of the things about Canadian culture, and I think it's increasingly true even of West Western culture as a whole, is we're easily intimidated. Mm-hmm. We're easily intimidated by scientists mm-hmm. because we have a bit of scientism mm-hmm. in our worldview that has not yet been surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. Mm-hmm. I think we have too much of a trust for physicians. I have some friends that are good you know, physicians and I do trust them because they have a Christian worldview, but I think we tend to idolize the, the medical establishment. I think a lot of guys who are called into ministry are meek or, or feel they're called into ministry are meek, more passive men who mm-hmm. actually just like to study, mm-hmm. come out on a Sunday morning, preach, and then hide for the rest of the week. So yeah. they're not engaging. They're not regularly engaging <laughs> with, with culture. They're not regularly interacting with people. They're many pastors, frankly, are very uncomfortable being around people, Yeah, which sounds a little weird, but yeah. they're very uncomfortable. Yeah, uh, There can be a tendency to social awkwardness. Then we have the factor of, of uh, a lot of our seminaries because I think of an, an overemphasis on doctrine to the exclusion of practice right. and wisdom yes. and application, 
many of our seminaries are staffed by professors who model that sort of passivity. Yeah. You're a bookworm. Yeah. We even hear pastors referring to themselves almost exclusively as preachers. Yeah. Preaching is one aspect of pastoral ministry, but mm-hmm. there's many other aspects to it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're called the shepherd to administrate, to lead, to discern. Mm-hmm. To and so a lot of guys go, th- a lot of guys have been mentored by passive, very nice men who are not necessarily mainstream in the way they think about culture. Mm-hmm. They, um, when you go to seminary, you're, you're taught to, ex- you know, taught Greek, Hebrew, how to exegete a text, how to do hermeneutics properly. You're taught systematic theology, maybe at a counseling course, a youth men course, and an intro to music course, and then you're out. Mm-hmm. But very few men are skilled in apologetics or cultural theology, the application of theology to real life. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, you know, on, on the best of days, and I say this as graciously as I can, but many preachers can't pastor their way out of a wet paper bag. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to handle with, they don't know how to handle church discipline in their church or conflict or right. rapid growth or and anything that's sort of very practical building purchases or expanding your staff or identifying your staff. They, they don't, they don't think in those realms. And with that in mind, then all of a sudden you have the greatest crisis in our lifetime thus far, which impacts all of that, Yeah, which impacts all of that. And I think a lot of guys initially were basically like deer in the headlights Yeah, initially. Yeah. Now the issue is not that. You've had two no. years to process. Yeah. Now I think it's denominational loyalty in some contexts. It's church structures that have hindered some good men who want to speak up mm-hmm. to speak up because their church structures don't permit it. They're not they're they have responsibility, but they have no authority yeah. given to them in their church structure. Yeah. And I think other guys are just desperately trying to avoid the issue, which mm-hmm. is so weird, but they're trying to avoid the issue mm-hmm. and just hope that it blows over. And then some of them, I think, are just stubborn mules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They know they're wrong and they refuse to repent. Mm-hmm. And they're doing everything in their power to try to justify their decisions. But I think if they're true believers on the level of their spirit, there's got to be some conviction going on. Yeah. So th- those are some of the factors that I see. Obviously, we have uh, some a theological problem whereby... I mean, I was literally just texting a guy five minutes before I came on this podcast, and he's like, you know, we, sh- we shouldn't be engaged in these issues. We're about defending Christ and his kingdom, not earthly rulers. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not defending earthly rulers. I'm defending the lordship of Christ over all creation, yeah. past, present, and future. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is called the king of kings and the lord of lords last time I checked, and that's yeah. not in, in the future tense. Yeah. It's now. The ruler of the kings of the earth. Yeah, so there's there's a bunch of different reasons. I I'll just say one one final comment. I've I don't actually. It's not that I've given up, but I actually don't pay almost any attention anymore to people who don't want to join the fight. I've yeah. just sort of ignored them. Yeah. I, I think after two years, if you haven't taken an inch uh, in our direction, it's probably not going to happen. I think there's almost been like a schism in the church. Yeah. I want to focus on the people that want to fight the fight, want to engage in the issues. And the rest of them, unfortunately, I think are just going to die a very slow and prolonged death in their churches and their ministry and even in their own spirits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two things that you brought up, I found really helpful, um, Aaron. I mean, all that was helpful, but 
when you think, okay, how did I, how did I end up being one of the first guys over the wall? Um, one is just leadership. It, it's a it's a function of leadership to be able to anticipate dangers uh, to the people that you're responsible for, to look out and see it before it hits. And um, you talk, you, you started a podcast for this reason, but you talk a lot about a crisis of leadership in general in the church. And I think just like there's men who focus on their exegetical abilities um, at the expense of maybe people skills and and just caring for people pastoral skills there's just there just is a crisis of leadership in the church you know the the um the capacity to see and anticipate risks and dangers and needs and to find a solution to those things and to mm-hmm. patiently prayerfully um persuade people in that direction appealing to their conscience yeah and, and so the- it's it's not it's not it's like it's not like uh, Aaron read a book or a blog and it just transformed his mind. It's like you act as a leader your whole life. And then when a crisis hits, you know, you're, you're more ready for it. Yeah. And so maybe the practical encouragement to our, our listeners is just like, you need to be showing, especially men leadership in your life. Yeah. And you that, need to- there's, there's definitely ties in the, the lack of leadership ties in with the crisis and masculinity in yeah. the church too. Right. So before we go to that, the masculinity piece, the other thing you hit on that I, and I've been thinking about this too, is it's almost like a semi-Pelagianism in the church. And by that, I mean a, a, a functional denial of the sinfulness of humanity. And I noticed this early on, that it was Canadians were utterly incredulous that you would question the state. <laughs> it's yeah. like, if there's, yes. it, 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 we weren't proposing burning it down. It was just kind of like, well, what if the, everything they say isn't 100% true? Most people would look at you and be like, uh-huh. Are you a conspiracy theorist? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like the real conspiracy theory is the conspiracy theory that a particular class of people is above the fall. That's a conspiracy theory. Good but, point. But when you begin with every single human being shares the same nature, if it's a fallen nature, it's the same. Uh, if it's a redeemed nature, it's the same. Um, that should really guide the way that we look at the world. And it is just it is just functional Pelagianism in the church to say that a particular class or status of people, whether it's doctors or scientists or politicians, are above the things, the proclivities of the rest of humanity. Yeah. That's just a yes. naive and a foolish view of things. So that's well, how- you think about it. If if our premier, and this is the same in Alberta as it is in Ontario, but if our premier had come out and never ever appealed to his science table mm-hmm. or dragged Dr. Williams or Dr. Moore up in front of province of Ontario to give a speech. Mm-hmm. This would have been over a long time ago because people innately have a distrust in politicians. Right. But in every speech, pretty much without exception, it was, I'm following the advice of the health officials. I'm yes. following the advice of the health officials. Now, meanwhile, down here in Windsor, at the time, one of the vice presidents of regional hospital was in my church a physician that works with COVID patients, an intern who was working in EU, and countless nurses, RNs, and nurse practitioners, both in Windsor and Detroit, because we're a border city, so a lot of our people work across the border. And I would ask them, these are people that I love, know, and attend my church and I've worshipped with for years. I would ask them, okay, 
Um, the chief medical director saying this, whatever the issue was at the time, is that what you're seeing? Almost without exception. In fact, maybe even without exception, it was, that's not what I'm seeing. That's not what I'm seeing in the well, hospital. That's not what I'm seeing in the next hospital. So I'm not, I'm not so much suggesting that all these officials were overtly lying. Mm-hmm. Okay. But there's always the way you, you, you see something happening or you anticipate something's going to happen, let's say in a hospital setting. And then you put your, your interpretive blanket over it. Yes. Or you look at it through your particular worldview and it affects. Yeah. So we have, we have physicians and medical experts, PhDs in epidemiology and whatnot, forming the science panel, giving advice for the province of Ontario. So some of them are just interpreting the data differently. Mm -hmm. Some of them are in different regions. Obviously, you're going to expect a greater number of people, maybe per capita in an area with senior citizens in a local hospital than you are in a youthful area. Mm -hmm. Um, You also have... um, the, the the political part, the desire to keep your job. So I've thought about this. If I was a physician and I didn't know Christ and I was the chief medical officer of a whole, the Canada's largest province, mm-hmm. or I was running a large hospital where the government pours money onto my lap every time I admit a COVID patient and I wasn't a godly, godly person or I was a, a lost person. I, I would think, look, the spotlight's on me. Everyone's looking at me for direction. So I'm going to be like hyper over the top conservative yeah. in my recommendations. I'm, I'm going to lock down the whole province because then there's not one death that's going to be attributed to me. Yeah. I'm not going to want to hear from the clergy, the historians, the economists. Yeah. Forget about you guys. The spotlight's on me. You're not getting in trouble. I'm getting in trouble. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to fudge the numbers. I know this happened to one of the Windsor hospitals so they could get a, a good friend of mine. He was actually an elder in our church, gave me firsthand accounts of meetings where they were fudging the numbers to get more government funding. I would trust this guy with my life. So I don't wow. disbelieve him. I'm yeah. not going to mention his name, but I would trust him with my life. Um, then you have people that don't have resurrection hope. So yeah. if you think of yourself just as a biotic being and you're a physician raised in a Darwinian worldview, and a human is fundamentally a biotic being that's born in a date and dies in a date, and that's all there is, then at all costs, I need to protect your biotic health. I'm not concerned about your mental health right now, your emotional health. I'm certainly not concerned about your spiritual health because I deny that you're a spiritual being. So I'm just going to put all my focus on protecting you biotically. So that influenced the response, right? Then we have demonic powers that work in the world. If we believe that Ephesians 6 is still relevant, we have demonic powers that are whispering lies in people's ears. Mm -hmm. Do you think the devil wants churches open during a pandemic? Of course not. What would be the point of that? Yeah. Um, so, so there's, there's all sorts of factors like that, that, that play a role. Um, on the Ontario science panel, you know, we still have, I don't know if you've heard of David Fisman. Um, yeah. What, he released what, that. Sorry, uh, what a ter- he released that report recently on uh, the unvaccinated being a threat to the vaccinated. Yes, that was complete. And when you garbage. read his when you read his tweets, he's clearly a radical leftist. Yeah, he yeah. he's spoken in favor of abortion, so that's going to affect his response. Mm-hmm. He he has no respect for the Christian Church, from what I can tell. He, he is he is um, he was taking he took money 
without, this is why he got tossed off the council effectively from the teachers federation for advocating for them. And from one other, I think one of the drug companies. So to your point, Alex, yeah, I, I don't trust these guys. Yeah, I don't. Why would we? Yeah. If I walked into an office and I'm like, Hey doctor, I got a bump on my arm. Can you tell me what that is and diagnose it? I would trust them to diagnose that bump and yeah. tell me what the problem is because there's no loss to them either way. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about controlling a whole province. Yeah. We essentially had our government default. It was a genius move. Default to the medical establishment because you don't question physicians ever because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I said early on, the, be- the smartest thing Doug Ford and uh, these other premiers should have done is immediately they should have form- formed a cross-disciplinary panel. Mm-hmm. Not just of science experts, but historians, clergy, economists, sociologists, whatever categories you want to throw in. And and if you have a plan at all, come up with a bit more of a well-rounded plan that takes a lot of different factors into consideration, but they didn't do that. Well, we it's because and we already Christians, had that. Yeah, we already had it. Many Christians submitted to this these these edicts because, well, there's a physician. Yeah. You know, there's a physician that says we have to do it. Yeah. What about the physicians that aren't on the government payroll? There's, I'm, I'm hearing them say otherwise. Why don't we listen to them? So those are some of the factors, I think, that played a role in, in this fiasco well i think it's lieutenant colonel david redmond he was a former i don't know head of emergency management in alberta oh yeah yeah but yes. he his point is look we've formed emergency response plans that have taken years to form with cross-discipline and he says we don't have a public health emergency we have a public emergency this affects every aspect of our society and we need therefore all of the stakeholders as it were to be to be able to speak and advocate um, to maybe to wrap that up then, it's just it's, Christians need to have a biblical view of human nature and not a shallow yes. and a superficial one. And Jesus, mm-hmm. if you look at Jesus in the gospel, so much of what he did was not um, pontificating about ethereal theological matters. It was actually through parable and story and even outright confrontation of his opponents exposing the depravity and uh, of humans and the way that the human heart works. And of all yes. people, Christians ought to be able to look around, not because we're, we are, we are sinfully suspicious or prone to um, being gullible or, or something, but because we're the opposite, because, because, we're wise. We, because we've been given hearts of flesh, we should know and be able to confront what our, what a true human heart is like. Yeah. It's not that they're more sinful than us, but they're not less. Yeah. Right. Um, I think one of the things, guys, that threw people off is there were a lot of pretty wacky conspiracy theories out there early on. Sure. And I know I know of one thoughtful Christian gentleman that I was talking to. He's like, Aaron, I just I can't believe this. Like, there's no way that all of this was orchestrated in some boardroom and that the whole pandemic's fake. And I just can't believe that. And I said, dude, I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you. I don't think they're smart enough for that. Yeah. But what I do believe is all of these people that don't know Christ and even the Christians in the mix that have a non-Christian worldview, they, they're totally depraved. Yeah. They've not yet been, many of these people have not yet been redeemed and there's a collective deception. Mm-hmm. Just like in our culture, there's a collective deception about abortion. Yeah. Most people are okay with it. Yeah. It's, to us, it seems so obviously wrong, but there's a collective deception there's a collective deception about the origins of humanity with, with Darwinian evolution being the dominant theory. There's a collective deception about science being the, you know, the, the, 
biological sciences being the queen of the sciences and being somehow infallible. This is just another example of collective depravity being expressed in a culture. Yeah. So we see it in the media, we see it in educational systems, on and on and on. But there, And there's also just the, and I, I said the same thing, Aaron, to people early on. It's like, I'm not suggesting that there's four people running the world. What I'm suggesting is human nature, because the question is, well, how could everyone be wrong? And I'm like, it's really simple. Yeah. How about you wear a shirt? <laughs> how about you wear a shirt that said, you know, trans women are not women. Just wear that shirt out and walk downtown. And how about you go to the Air Canada Center, you go to these big public events, just go wear that. It's like, well, I don't want it. Well, exactly. It, it's just, it's very basic. Have you been to high school? Yeah. Like it's called peer pressure. Yeah. So we are, we, we face these forces um, and, and public shaming and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that leads us to conformity. And this this came out, the Washington Post had to walk back their article on the, the lab leak in Wuhan because initially they came out and said this is a giant conspiracy theory and the uh, Lancet Medical Journal, the oldest medical journal in the world, came out and did an, basically a, not an op-ed, but but all the editors came out and said that this is a conspiracy theory that shouldn't even be, which when does a medical journal even do that? But then they, they didn't consider that. And a year later, they're having to walk all that back. Mm. So it's, it's yeah. not, it's not a secret society that's no. running things. It's human nature being and, played out. And we need to recognize that people in power generally look for opportunities to gain more power. Yeah. That's, that's not a secret sure. either. So and avoid responsibility. And so, and, yeah, again, you don't have maybe you don't have four people in a back room pulling strings everywhere, but everybody is taking advantage of this. Mm-hmm. So one of the one of oh, the other things yeah. that's come up is if we think about leadership, if we think about wisdom, that there's just been a there is a crisis of masculinity. I mean, that's obvious. People have recognized that before the pandemic, our culture hates biblical masculinity, seeks to, to run it down. Um, what are the ways that you have encouraged and trained and built up men in your life and in your church? Because it's it's something that you've done. Well, I think I think the person that you are obviously is going to affect the kind of people that land in your church. So you're going to get a lot of drive through traffic. Yeah, the kind of people that you influence in public as well. So not mm-hmm. just within the confines, the, the worshiping church, but in your relationships, mm-hmm. if you, I don't think it's helpful for guys to go around like trying to be something they're not. <laughs> yeah. um, but I enjoy being a man. Yeah. I don't apologize for being a man. Mm-hmm. I act like a man. I talk like a man. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you tend to, attract people into your circles and spheres of influence that have a similar mindset. I'm not going to go apologizing for being a guy, which almost is, I think a lot of the young guys, especially those raised in the public system have been taught a very definitive, generally wrong view of what a woman is, but no one even has helped them to define what it means to be a man. So I think maybe that one of the number one rules of getting yourself into a position where you can influence and develop other men is just act like a man yourself. Right. So one of the defining characteristics of, of manhood, in my view, in my study of scripture, this was Adam's problem in Eden, et cetera, is initiative. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. built to take initiative. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, not to be crass, but sexually, we're the ones that initiate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, in sexuality. Mm-hmm. We're called to lead our wives. We're called to lead our families. Mm-hmm. We're bestowed those that are gifted with the opportunity to preach and teach to men and women in the Christian church. Mm-hmm. Um, biologically, we're built with bodies that are more effective at protecting women than women are protecting men. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it. I also think that we have guarded pretty carefully in the course of my ministry, a complementarian view mm. of role relationships in the mm-hmm. church and in the home. Mm-hmm. So we, we have a lot of women. I know your wife was down at our church recently speaking. We have hundreds of women in our church that are incredible leaders. Yeah. There are godly women that are, that are competent preachers that are competent worship leaders, but we've helped them to see that there's places for them to express that and places not. So for Mm -hmm. example, we have female preachers in our church, but they preach to women. Mm -hmm. Uh, Women can, women are instructed, the older women are instructed to teach the younger women. Mm -hmm. So I have no problem with saying women can preach. We just don't have women pastoring or eldering or preaching to men. Mm -hmm. Um, So we don't, we don't just focus on, well, this is what guys do. We're not going to talk about what women do. We try to help, men have a healthy understanding of what it means to be a Christian man and women to understand what it means to be a Christian woman. Yeah. And then I, I would say one of the best things I've, I've, um, one of the most enjoyable things I should say that I have been doing in the last five years, I think it's been is like, I'm very busy. So I got lots of stuff going on, Yeah. but I, I like to, I like to take on every wing eight to 12 young men every year and disciple them for 10 months every other week. Hmm. And uh, we generally meet every other Sunday night. And right now I think I have 10 or 11 guys. Mm -hmm. They're between the ages of um, probably 19 and 25, Mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. And we meet, and I just, for a couple hours, I just share, I share about, you know, how how do you, how do you, um, perceive yourself. I want them to understand who they are, what their strengths and weaknesses are, what their gifts are. I actually have them evaluate each other. We talk about how to initiate a relationship with a woman, how to study your Bible, how to be a man of prayer, how to handle your finances, mm-hmm. how to sort through your relationship with your father. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So very practical issues for guys. And then when you, when you do that every year as a pastor, formally or informally, you start looking back and you're like, oh, now there's about 50 of them in the church that I've directly spent about 20 sessions with. Yeah. So I've influenced them and they're going to influence others. And then of course, creating structures in your church where, you know, there's, there's um, opportunities for men to be discipled is pretty critical. But number one, we just, we live in a culture and in a world where for some reason people are ashamed or, silent about their beliefs and about their manhood. Mm-hmm. And I want to create a culture where people are more comfortable, men and women both speaking the truth in love Yeah. on any subject. Any subject is open to discussion Yeah. and clearly di- differentiate between this is a man and this is a woman. This is where we're the same, but this is where we're different. Yeah. Alex, so I, th- this was just kind of, surprising but super cool so a couple weeks ago we were invited to a um uh a a marriage renewal ceremony Mm -hmm. and uh there was a a girl there that had recently started coming to our church in the last several months and and this is what she said to me i pretty much word for word she's like there's two things 
that um, especially stood out when we started attending your church. She was like, number one, and she grew up in church and so did her husband. She said, number one, I've never heard any pastor in a church service ever say homosexuality is a sin. <laughs> First time I ever heard that was when you said it. Yeah. Thinking, how do you grow up in church and no one ever tells you that? Because the culture's terrified to say that, yeah. but I'll say it. Mm-hmm. Homosexuality in all circumstances mm-hmm. is a sin. Mm-hmm. Secondly, she said, I couldn't believe there were men in your church. I'm like, what? It's like, well, I grew up in a church where the board was women, the pastor was women. Like, oh, wow. you know, there was a few guys, but pretty much it was run by the women, right? Yeah. So when you create a culture like that, where you don't address the hard issues because you're, you're terrified of it, the repercussions. Yeah. And you don't have men in your church because the women are leading anything, everything anyway. You have a problem. Yeah. Women will come to churches where men are leading. Yeah. Men won't go to churches where women are leading. That's right. No. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So these are things for us to think about in terms of the application of our theology to the way we quote unquote do church. Do you think, do you think Aaron, okay, so a couple of things are going through my mind. One of the ways that we can exercise our masculinity is showing courage and forthrightness in our speech. And, um, the, the, I get that in several places, you know, the uh, New Testament where we act like men and um, basically to be courageous. And obviously women are told to not be, not fear what is frightening as well. And, and courage is a Christian virtue, but, but men are called to show courage. If we think about leadership, especially in the, the words that we use and being willing to use words that are costly words that will, um, bring reproach on us in one sense um, of the culture, of the world, and the scorn. Um, Jordan Peterson made an observation one time when he was asked about male aggression. He's like, well, women are still aggressive. They just do it in a different way. And he, he knows the data on this. And he said, they resort not to physical violence, but character assassination. And they're mm-hmm. actually just as high in aggression in that, in that regard. It's, it's a metric. And it made me think of the text I mentioned to you when we were meeting about how Paul contrasted his ministry with the false teachers and said, we refuse to practice cunning, but instead, through open declaration of the truth, commended ourselves to your conscience in the sight of God. And there's just, there's something about a ministry of integrity and just a, a masculine ministry that just speaks plainly and right. forthrightly and doesn't try to um, uh, be clever with people, doesn't try right. to soften all the blows, but just actually respects people, commends to their conscience mm. and trusts yeah. God when they speak. I think of, uh, was it Nathaniel who uh, Jesus called, uh, behold, this is a, a true Israelite without guile. Right. You know, yeah. just, did, just a guy who calls it like he sees it. You're, you're honest. You're not playing games. Yeah. That's kind of what you're getting at. But it's, it's, it's not, I've, I've noticed that there's a, you can be a successful pastor and be good at being clever. You know, it's like you, you are a smart guy, you're a knowledgeable guy, you're a clever guy, but you're not a forthright guy. And uh, yeah, go ahead, Aaron. You know, I, I remember the, the group of men that were, you know, probably middle-aged at the time that were sort of mentoring and discipling and teaching me or the, the type of you know, I'm, I guess I'm 49 now. So mm-hmm. the guys that were sort of, when I was 18, 19, 20, 21 training for ministry, and I would look to the guys, who are, let's say 35 to 55. And as I've, I still know some of them 
and I've talked to them about their training. I think they they went through a training process and they were in a culture where it almost seemed like the number one thing that churches were looking for in a pastor, sometimes, frankly, most of the time, even beyond preaching or maybe even godliness, is, is he just a really nice, genteel kind of guy? Yeah, yeah. And so that's what the seminaries would produce because the, if the church wants it, then that's what the seminary is going to produce. They're going to produce the real genteel, kind, winsome kind of men. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I I never bought into that paradigm. Yeah. And part of it was because it's it, it doesn't square up with what I actually see in scripture from our heroes of the faith. Right. Um, when. People, I remember one time when I was preaching and I used the word stupid mm-hmm. and a mom and her kid came up. She said, my child has a question for you. And he's like, Pastor Aaron, why did you use the word stupid? And she's like, mm, yeah, why did you? Right. And like, yeah, well, yeah. it's in the Bible. And she just kind of stood there and wrote, it is. Yeah, it's in the Bible. Oh, okay. Um, I try not to be you know, more godly than God. <laughs> yeah. So. Sometimes hard language is necessary. Yeah. I'm prepping my, I'll be prepping my message for Galatians 3 this week. Oh, foolish Galatians. Imagine if I got up in front of my church and said, you bunch of fools, I got to talk to you about something. Yes. That's essentially what Paul was doing. And he was, and many churches would be like, oh. Yes. You know, you, you'd get more of a gasp out of that than if you denied the Trinity. Yes. It gets even worse um, later on in yeah. Galatians when he <laughs> tells them what to do yeah. with their <laughs> circumcision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, you have Paul calling Alexander the coppersmith has done me wrong. Yeah. Um, Naming them. John calls out Diotrephes for wanting to be first. Mm-hmm. Right. So even Jesus teaching, you brood of vipers. I'm going to flip some tables yeah. over. Like this idea that. We, we always have to couch, yeah. circle in on everybody, the biggest circle you can possibly make before you get to the point. Yeah. And never just say it. Like, don't yeah. imply it. Don't assume it. Homosexuality is a sin. Yeah. Fornication is a sin. Lying is a sin. Mm-hmm. Not leading your wife is a sin. Not disciplining your kids is a sin. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you don't discipline people in your church for unrepentant sin, you're not even a true church. Just mm-hmm. say it. Mm-hmm. People need to hear it. Because mm-hmm. the liars are blunt. Yeah, of course. Yeah. When they present their lies. 100%. And if you create a culture and it's not, okay, I understand pastoral tact. Okay. Yeah. So if I, if I'm having a conversation in the hallway, subconsciously, I'm aware, am I talking to a man or a woman? Am I talking to a new believer or a seasoned believer? Am I talking to someone I've just met for the first time? So we're, we're exercising pastoral relational tact. We're adjusting to the circumstances that we're in. We, we treat people in light of their gender in light of their story in light of, you know, their, their cultural background. I get all that. You're trying to build connections. You're trying to build bridges. You're mm-hmm. trying to ask wise questions that are relevant to that person. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, especially when it comes to your public communication, mm-hmm. the best policy I think is to teach the text. What does it say? Yeah. And then actually apply it to your audience, having first applied it to yourself, Mm -hmm. whether you've successfully done so or are still struggling to measure up is Mm -hmm. both those scenarios are possible. Mm -hmm. And speak to people in their real language. Don't put on airs. Don't try to mimic some other preacher. Sometimes people say, who do you listen to preaching? Actually, I don't listen to a lot of guys Mm -hmm. because I don't want to fall into the trap of mimicking them. Yeah. 
Um, I have learned from many different preachers and communicators, but I, I probably not, wasn't even conscious of it at the time. So speaking the truth is pretty important. Unfortunately, that's it's so shockingly rare. Sometimes when you do it, you think, am I the weirdo here? Yeah. But it's what we're seeing in Scripture. So Scripture has driven my approach yeah. to public and private communication. And I'm sure the Lord, I'm sure your personality factors into it as well. Yeah. But in the scriptures, we see the truth being communicated. Sometimes it's soft and gentle. Other times it's straightforward, blunt, and categorical. Yeah. And we need those voices in the church. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, one of the indications that your, that your view of appropriate speech is off is if you categorically rule out a particular kind of speaking. Because scripture allows for almost everything in some instance. It doesn't allow for everything at every point. It's, it's yes. when is this appropriate? But I mean, you go to Amos, you, I mean, it, it, there's almost nothing that is always out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we've seen the rise of Christian speech codes and the danger of them is that they're a form of legalism. They would, they are a law that would condemn the sinless son of God. And that's why they're a problem. Mm-hmm. And if your speech codes would condemn Jesus, uh, you need to really reevaluate, you know, your morality. And, and we need one to have the, a bigger uh, qualifi- conversation. We should just emphasize this. One of the qualifications of an elder is not to be quarrelsome. Yeah. So there's a, like, what's debate and what's quarrelsome? Well, yeah. I think you feel it in your spirit. Debate is when you're on the issue, you're on the topic, you're staying to the topic. Quarrelsome is there's a sense which I okay now I got to defend myself because I'm getting hot here. Just trying to win, and I don't want to look bad. Right. So, uh, learning to debate and dialogue and critically analyze is one thing, but we also have to avoid quarrelsome Mm -hmm. quarrelsomeness. So, for example, just to be super practical, if you look at my social media and I I use social media, let's say Facebook, and you get comments or Twitter, and you get comments, and some of them are negative. If if a person asks a question or wants to dialogue with me in that forum, because I know the world is watching, I might respond once. Rarely would I respond twice. Yeah. Rarely. Because I don't want to be perceived as quarrelsome. Aaron just, he has to have his way. He has to defend every angle, right? Mm-hmm. Now, on a, if they private message me, if I have time, I might go back and forth with them a little bit more. But a lot of guys misuse social media or even in their preaching and teaching, they do kind of come across as quarrelsome. They think they're being bold and courageous and they very well might be, but they're actually just jerks. <laughs> Cause the other guy's not love in the room. <laughs> What's that? Sorry. Cause the other guy's not even in the room. <laughs> yeah, so we have to be careful about that. And you have to discern that in your own spirit too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we don't want to just, we don't want to be so, um, so the gospel's offensive and truth is offensive, but we don't want to be offensive. Yeah. Now you're always going to be accused of being offensive by some people that are extremely passive, yeah. but debating, speaking the truth, that just that sober second thought before you, you post the tweet is wise yeah. before you respond is wise. So there is some wisdom and discretion there. We don't want younger preachers to think just, you know, go barf on people every yeah. week. Yeah. That will get you into trouble. So maybe if the one ditch is is ruling out particular forms of speech, which scripture clearly permits, the other ditch is saying, well, scripture allows for me to use this inflammatory language, therefore I can use it whenever I want. 
It's like, well, right. no, the other principle in the scripture is, is time and place. Like, who are you speaking to? Yeah. And, and is that appropriate in this instance? Kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, if you're speaking to someone who ought to know better, like Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and saying, uh, no, you're wrong. Yeah, have you, know, you not read? Up, yeah, have you not read what God wrote to you? You know. So, but then the the way he would deal maybe with, uh, you know, I'm thinking of the woman at the well or something like yeah. that, where he's still being truthful to her, but there's a tenderness there that he doesn't show with the Pharisees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. So... Um, maybe if we're looking back on the last couple of years, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, you know, I know you a li- I know you a little bit more than I used to know, but I've mainly known you publicly up until this point. I got to spend some great time with you recently, but um, I'm curious, uh, what has been the hardest part of being a public defender of the faith and, and an advocate uh, for the weak and for the voiceless? Um, obviously there's God's given grace to you. He's given grace to us. I mean, it's been the best couple of years of my life and ministry in some ways, as well as the hardest. But I just wanted to ask you that, like, what's, what's been a really hard part of it for you? Two things. They, they may be partly righteous, mm-hmm. but they also may be tainted by you know, all of our capacity or our inclinations to, to self-protect. Mm. And I'm not sure I, I can always differentiate between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, one would be, I actually don't have a, a, a natural interest in being in the limelight. I mm. never wanted to be a lead pastor. Mm. I never wanted to be a um, public communicator. Mm. I certainly never wanted to be in the crosshairs of the media. Mm. I never wanted to expose myself to media criticism. I, Alex, I genuinely, I don't need that to feel yeah. good about myself. Mm-hmm. I don't particularly want it in my flesh. Mm-hmm. I remember even when I went to Bible college and I was, um, funny story, I was training for ministry and I sort of said to the Lord, Lord, I'll do anything you want. But I definitely never want to be a senior pastor. <laughs> For sure, that one's out. <laughs> and secondly, I'll serve anywhere, but I, I definitely don't want to serve in Windsor because <laughs> the end. Of the I world. had that in mind because I had a friend whose dad served in Windsor and had a bad experience at a church. So for some reason, Lord, I'm open to anything, but not Windsor and not being a senior pastor. Other than that, use me however you want, right? Duly know. Now, in hindsight, as the Lord led me along, and this is where I've been now for 25 years or so, I think that's really been a good thing because, you know, there's a difference between, I'll use this illustration, like cupped hand leadership where you have a stewardship and you're holding it and you're stewarding it versus this, where right. you, you kind of have to have it. I don't have to have this. I could, I could um, be a cattle farmer tomorrow yeah. and be quite happy with that career mm-hmm. as long as I could use my gifts in some way to serve the Lord. Mm-hmm. So there's the two things would be, I don't really feel that comfortable being in the limelight, Mm. but I do it on principle because I know that's what God wants me to do. Mm -hmm. And secondly, because I have a a pretty high sensitivity to justice, Mm -hmm. I can't stand being lied about. Yeah. yeah. And I really don't like being misunderstood. Mm -hmm. I don't mind it if people disagree with me, but I don't like being misunderstood and Mm -hmm. misrepresented. Mm -hmm. And many times, especially in the media, but also from some other pastors, frankly, my views have been misrepresented. Yeah. 
And I know people don't have time to follow all my podcasts and all my sermons and all my teaching and every tweet I put out, but I, I do not like being misrepresented. Yeah. Um, and so there's been a lot of that, a lot of lies in the media, a lot of falsehoods Mm -hmm. that, um, have been hard on me in my spirit. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I want to say this because maybe some other guys can relate to my comments. I have had extended periods where the Lord has given me way more joy Mm. than I could possibly ever manufacture in my own flesh. And I see that as a gift from God to compensate for the challenges of ministry. Yeah, praise God. Mm. And that's a wonderful testimony that God, he just does supply grace, grace for the day, grace for Mm -hmm. the challenge. And you don't expect when you look into that pit that it's going to be there, but you know, it is, he is. Yeah. Yeah, we've said that a lot over the last couple of years. Like, I think, believe you already said it uh, this evening. Just to, it's been the hardest two years, but it's been the best in some ways. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I think we've all yeah. been, I think we've all had our uh, understanding of God deepened. Our um, our understanding of corporate worship is is certainly deepened at West Mount. And, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we love going. We love singing with the saints. We love hearing yeah. the word preached. So there's just... Yeah, there's all these things we want to tell God we don't want to do. I'll do anything but, you know, like you like you say, and it's almost <laughs> like you're tempting God to make you love it's the thing. It's funny in hindsight. It is, yeah. <laughs> I remember hearing uh, Nancy Wilson give a similar testimony, uh, Doug Wilson's wife. Um, she said, uh, you know, when she was when she was a single woman, I'll go anywhere for you, Lord. Just take me out of Moscow. I don't want to be here. It <laughs> <laughs> didn't work yeah. out so well for her. No. I guess. <laughs> yeah. So if that's mm-hmm. if that's maybe we'll close on this. Um, the question, just reflecting on, you know, the last couple of years in particular. You know, there's been challenges being thrust into the spotlight, and being, you know. Um, misunderstood sometimes intentionally. So what are the ways that you've grown? Maybe you just, and obviously you've, your experience and wisdom and leadership um, played a role in you getting over the wall, but I'm sure that, you know, as you made your way across the battlefield that you, you continue to grow and you continue to learn and in your home, maybe your family, your church had a chance to visit things you know, God seems to be really working there. Like what, what ways have you seen God continue to work in the, in the difficult circumstances? Well, that's a long list. Yeah. And the Lord is, uh, you know, still sanctifying me, obviously. I got a long way to go, but, um, well, first of all, I've been thinking about things Mm. that I had a view views on, but I didn't really need to call upon them because the, circumstances prior to this didn't require it. So I've had to, on a mental level, the Lord is sanctifying me by forcing me to think more about, for example, the Lordship of Christ over the ministry and worship of the church. Yeah. The, the, the essential nature of the Christian church, the life giving nature of the collective gathering of God's people under word and sacrament, these kinds of theological notions, you you got them there, but you're not, you're not thinking about every theological category every day or even every month. So it's been mentally, I've been mentally blessed by having to think about categories of biblical teaching that I didn't have to think as much about. Mm -hmm. I have been personally stretched and challenged in, for example, perseverance and um, courage and stick to mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, I've, I've had to subject uh, the temptations to like despair mm. or feelings. This is a futile fight to mm. the Lordship of Christ. And I mm. think I've had some success in that by God's grace. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have to be careful to differentiate between righteous anger and sinful anger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have to be careful about, you know, one of the things in first Corinthians 13, it says love is not irritable. Mm-hmm. And I've said this publicly before. One of my Achilles heels is I can, I can easily get irritated by people. Yeah. Same. So I've had to try to subject that to the Lordship of Christ, mm-hmm. especially when I hear people saying things that are in leadership especially in Christian leadership that are mm-hmm. leading people astray. I mm-hmm. get angry, I get irritated, I get frustrated, mm-hmm. and I don't wish them well. Mm-hmm. And so I have to subject that to the Lordship of Christ because I still want to love on them and I still want to pray for their repentance and renewal. So these are some things um, that I think the Lord has sanctified me in. Yeah. Um, many different passages of Scripture. You know, you I don't want to say you read Scripture differently, but you do read scripture differently when you're in a crisis or you're experiencing a particular circumstance and maybe a familiar text. Suddenly it's like, this is my story right now. Yeah. I've preached it in the past as someone else's story, but now it's my story. Yeah. So being, being encouraged by scripture, I, I am very consistent in my Bible reading. I read the Bible every single day I, I have for 29 years without without even missing a single day. Mm-hmm. Um, I read my Bible every single day. That's been a huge blessing. Mm-hmm. And when you're reading your Bible and maybe life is a little easier, you tend to be just digesting information or being reminded of a narrative or a story or a teaching. But when you're in crisis and you're reading the Bible, right, then you're, you're, you're immediately applying it. So consistent, consistently reading my Bible which is the first step has opened the door for me to, to see and experience the hand of God and the move of God in my life, which mm-hmm. has been, you know, a, a huge blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, many, many, many other areas. I think, you know, if you think of yourself as a total, a, a, a whole, I think every aspect of my life mm-hmm. has been impacted in some way, shape or form, trusting in the Lord. I mean, you mm-hmm. know what it's like when you're, mm-hmm. You've been arrested. I've been fined multiple mm-hmm. times. You know, when you're thinking, okay, I'm willing to do this, but this is starting to add up to a lot of money. Yeah. Um, where is this going to come from? These are the <laughs> kinds of things that the Lord has been sanctifying us in. Yeah. So I appreciate asking the question. Many, many, many areas. And I, but beyond my own sanctification, I find great joy and great pleasure Mm -hmm. and seeing other people sanctified as well Mm -hmm. through my ministry, through your ministry, Mm -hmm. through the collective ministry of the other pastors and leaders across our country that have fought the fight. Well, Mm -hmm. it's been, it's been wonderful. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, I don't, I'm not sure I really want this to just go away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. I think I want the Lord to continue to do whatever's necessary to discipline and sanctify his church Yeah, and to discipline and sanctify me. I'm, Yeah, in my spirit, that's what I want for myself. I want to become more like Christ. Mm-hmm. I want to count the cost. I I want to be able to know in my spirit that I would even pay the ultimate price mm-hmm. 
for the beliefs that I think the Lord has laid upon my heart. And this, mm-hmm. I think, is sort of pr- preparing us potentially for that, mm-hmm. or at least testing us so that we know a little more clearly. Would I actually prepared to be prepared to take a bullet for Christ? Yeah. Would I actually be prepared to lose my life, my reputation for Christ? So that's, mm-hmm. it's been interesting in that respect as we've learned these, these valuable lessons. Mm-hmm. Well, brother, we're so thankful for you and yeah, thanks thankful. for your time. Thanks for, uh, you know, just giving, yeah. giving yourself. That's a long conversation. Can I ask one more question? Do you go have ahead. time for one more question? Yeah, go for okay. it. Um, you said, you know, there's a certain group of pastors and whatnot that you don't, you're not even bothering with anymore. And uh, I think that's a good tactic. But I've seen uh, and, and talk to a lot of Christians who are going to these churches led by these uh, men that aren't leading properly. And they, these are hungry sheep uh, that have no shepherds at the moment. How can we best reach them, especially the ones that are far away and don't, they, they just can't make it to a godly assembly? Like, what can we do for them? Well, some of these pastors are still winnable or clueless. Mm. Um, I received, I had a, I think what I would call, what I perceive to be a pretty significant run-in with a pastor last year, hmm. where I think his conduct, frankly, was egregious. And out of the blue, he just texts me asking me for some, for some advice on an unrelated issue. And I was just kind of like, should I even respond to this guy? <laughs> like, this is so weird. <laughs> Remember that but thing? <laughs> I, I'm thinking maybe he just doesn't get it. Like, maybe he doesn't understand that yeah. this is like a do or die for me. This is not a differences of opinion on what the left horn is on the beast in Revelation or something. This is like core theology. I think they have failed. I think these pastors that have not stood up, they they need to repent. They're actually living in sin. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to call homosexuality a sin, I'm going to call cowardice a sin because they're both in the same damnation list at the end of Revelation. Yeah. So the, they, they need to repent, but, um, and, and I think some of them might over time come around, maybe not to the degree that I would like to see them, but they'll come around. But to, to people who are who feel abandoned, I think is your question, yeah. who feel left out. This is this is life in Morocco. This is life in Saudi Arabia right. for the very few Christians who live there. We need community. If you cannot build up a vibrant Christian church in your area, then move to an area where there's a beachhead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... I think the number one consideration on your list is, is there a faithful church there? Yeah. That should be your number one consideration mm-hmm. and move, move to these, to these critical areas in our province. We know where they are now. They're obvious. Yeah. And, um, start a business, find gainful employment with someone in the church, eventually support people for political office. Mm-hmm. I think for, so we're, we're like a bunch of little dots on a map. There's a few areas that are bright lights in the map. Most of it is dark. So if we're going to be strategic about it, and I know you've listened to my podcast on beachheads, I think moving our our remnants to a few critical areas and building up the Christian population there strategically so people can find a little more stability in terms of business because there's going to be, we're already forming networks down here. Um where people are employing each other and they're finding new, new careers after they've been tossed from their jobs and building up strong churches, strong churches that, that terrify the state, yeah, mm-hmm. that concern the state, that mm-hmm. politicians don't want to mess with. Mm-hmm. We need that. Mm-hmm. And then creating institutions, especially educational institutions, and eventually I have a vision for medical institutions and mm-hmm. maybe even financial institutions out of that. 
I'm, I'm, um, sufficiently eager that I'm not going to run out of energy doing that, but I'm also sufficiently patient and sufficiently incrementalistic mm. to know that I'm prepared to, to, to engage in this process over the long haul, yeah, but yeah. we need other people to obviously to do this. So, um, if you're by yourself, you're two, three hours away from a church, you're hungry for fellowship. You haven't sat in a normal church for two years and you're not gifted as a pastor and there's not a core group of people around you that can plant a new church. Find a place where you can be spiritually nourished and fed and connect. And hopefully in future generations, if, if this is successful, we can spread back out and sort of colonize towns and cities where there currently is no faithful mm-hmm. witness. So that, that's my best advice on that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. So thank Appreciate you very much for that. So yeah, if anybody else wants more of that type of uh, advice, the, the beachheads uh, episode is very good. Yeah. Are we good? Uh, not the beachcombers. Not, not the, the beachcombers. Beach no, it's a different one. Yeah, the beachhead. We're not Catholics. We don't believe in relics. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to leave you with this from First uh, Timothy six as I push my button here, verse eleven. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Dominion Podcast. Thanks.